Ephesians chapter 4. You know, this is, a, this is a cool passage. It really sets up the rest of the chapter of chapter 4. And so uh, you're going to hear me refer back to this probably in the next four messages, three or four messages. Uh, we're going we're gonna to come back to this uh, to talk about what we're talking about, okay? So in other words, uh, next week when we talk about falsehood, uh, we're going to come back and we're going to refer to this passage because because verse 25 and 26 and 28 and, and 29, uh, those are all applications of the passage we're going to look at today. Okay, So today kind of Paul sets the, the theological framework of what should be happening in your life. And then the rest of this chapter is kind of application. Okay, here's how it works out in truth. And here's how it works out in anger. And here's how it works out in, in the words that you speak. Okay, so, so today's really kind of a, a pivotal passage, passage that we're going to be looking back to several times in the next month. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, here's what ought to be happening in your life. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Jesus, for an opportunity to come today and to open our Bibles and to look at the Word of God. Uh, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher today. I pray that you would uh, open our minds to these truths. God, show us what it means to put off our old self, to put on our new self. Lord, God, renew our minds. Uh, Father, help us to learn Christ today. Father, I pray that Christ would be the center of all of our thinking uh, of all of our living, of all of our relating. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to see the glory of Jesus and that that would transform uh, not only the way that we think, but what we desire, what we do, uh, how we live. Father, make that, make that a reality in our lives today. We ask you to work in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if, if you've been here uh, through the Ephesians series, you know that we spend the, thir- the first three chapters talking about the amazing, incredible things that have happened in every born-again believer. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk a lot about what God has done, what God has done in us. And so, just a little bit of review here. Uh, we talked about in chapter 1 how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, adopted into the family of God, forgiven of all your trespasses. Amen to that today washed away by the blood of Jesus, joined in union with Jesus Christ, indwelt and sealed by the Spirit of God, given an inheritance with Christ. He, we were dead and He made us alive. We were condemned to, as children of wrath and God placed us in Christ to be objects of His eternal kindness. And that is just a sampling of, a, of one or two chapters in a small book in the entire Bible, okay? Those are all things that have happened to every born-again believer. 
Spirit that are a reality in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? Those are incredible things, all right? Now listen, though. If, if, if you're a skeptic today, and if you are, please don't raise your hand. That would be embarrassing. But if you're a skeptic today, here's what I think you might say. You might say, okay, Pastor, you've been talking about all these incredible things that have happened in my... In, in, well, if you're a skeptic, probably not in your life, but in, in my life or in a, in a follower's life, in a believer's life. You know, but here's the thing about all those things. They're all hidden, aren't they? They all happen in this spiritual realm, and we talked about that. In Ephesians chapter 1, we talked about how we're joined to Christ in the spiritual, in the heavenlies, is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, and, and how we're indwelt with the Spirit of God. You can't see that physically. You can't see a, a Holy Spirit in, in, inside of someone. Uh, you can't see that with your physical eyes. We talk about being forgiven. We talk about being, having an inheritance in the heavenly places, and all those happen in the spiritual realm. And I think a skeptic might say, you know what? You can't see any of that. How convenient is that, that all of that is hit, hidden? It all happens in the soul. It all happens in the spirit. It all happens in the heavenly realm. Well, I would say two things to that, okay? Two things to that. Number one, first of all, the reality of the heavenly realm, of a creator God, of a judgment and a cross and a savior, those things are more real than the car you drove up in or the house you slept in last night or the money in your billfold. And long after those things are gone, the, the, the heavenly realm, the spiritual realities, the creator God, the judgment God, what has happened in you in the heavenly places will define your life for billions upon billions of years, okay? But second of all, what I would also say is, you know what? There is much that has happened in the believer that is incredibly visible, okay? Now, we talk about all these things that have happened in us that, that, that again, are happening in the spiritual realm. We're joined to Christ. But those things also have a visible element to them. In other words, they ought to be clearly seen by everybody that knows you very well. I would argue that, that my wife saw a visible transformation in me when I got saved in 1990, and I believe she's still seeing that today. Okay, John chapter 3 talks about being born again. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus in, in chapter 3 of verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so they have this conversation about, about being born again. Okay, and, and Again, it's something that happens in the spirit, in the soul, inside of a person. Something happens in the heavenly realm where we're joined to Christ. We're given new life. Okay, but Jesus gives a great example in verse 8. Okay, Nicodemus is grappling to try to figure this out. How can I be born again? And in verse 8, Jesus says, you know what? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, so Jesus uses the wind as an example. The wind's a great example. Can you see the wind? You can't see the wind, okay? Are there visible evidence that there's wind in northwest Oklahoma? I believe that there is. Is there not? I believe that there's nobody in this room that doubts wind. There's nobody that walks aside and says, those wind turbines, those are the stupid thing ever because we don't have any wind here, okay? There's nobody that would say that in northwestern Oklahoma because we all know there's wind, not because we can see wind, but because we see the visible effects of wind. Do we not? We, we see limbs down in our yard. We, you know, we, we, we see hats blowing off. We see dust in the air. We see thing, things being moved and shaped and torn apart by wind. We see the visible effects of wind. And in the same way, the Bible would say that you have visible effects to your salvation. There are things that have happened in your life that should visibly be seen to everybody if you're a born-again believer. In fact, if those things are missing... 
okay? If you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but there's no visible effects of that, there's no visible marks of that in your life, then the Bible would say you, 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 should, you should be very cautious today. You should be very careful today. You, you should be very alerted today that, you know what, maybe something hasn't happened that I think has happened. Verses 17 through 19 in this passage, and we're going to look at them in just a second. But they describe a pattern of living that is common to everybody who's not following Jesus. Okay, so to to all of us here at one time in our lives, verses 17 through 19 would apply. Okay, and and then verse 21 says, but you know what? You've met Christ, or or assuming that you have. Paul says, look, I'm going to assume if you're telling me you have, then I'm going to assume that you have. Verse 21 says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus, assuming that that you've learned Christ, that you've come to know Christ, you should not be living that way anymore. Look at verse 17. This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Here the word Gentiles would describe everybody who's not following Jesus, everybody who's not following God, not connected to God in a faith relationship. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And so verse 21 says you should not look like you used to look. There should be a visible transformation in your life. If you have learned Christ, if you've been born again, if you've experienced his grace, if you've entered his school, then verse 22 says, and here's where we're getting down to to, to where we're going to stay here for the next month or so. You should be putting off your old self. Look at it in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former man of life before you were saved, before you came to know Christ, and you should put on your new self, okay? Your new self, that's in verse 24, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self, the new nature, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of relating, a new way of loving, that's going to emerge. And verse 24 says that new self is going to be created in the likeness of God. What does that mean? It means you're going to begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more like His characteristics, like 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 His His. Uh, uh, attributes, all right? So, so you're going to begin to look less and less like you and more and more like Jesus. Have you ever been to a class reunion or something where you, you, know, you haven't seen somebody for like 20 years and you go back... And, and, and you're like, okay, I know that person. And, and, and so you, you confirm that that's who it is. But what you realize is they look less and less like the them you knew and more and more like somebody you did not know. Okay. Has that ever happened before? You're like, okay, I can still see a little remnant of the person I knew in them. But, but they're really, they're, they're, they're somebody different. You know, they, they, they look totally different. In the same way, we ought to see that in people, not so much physically, but we ought to see that in the character traits and the personality and the temperament and, and the, and the habits. Habits of people who become born again. We're saying, you know what? I know that's the same person. I can see the remnant of who they are there. But man, they're completely different. That should happen in every born again believer. Now, here's what's cool about this passage. That really we're going to center on the rest of our time here. Is all of that is really wrapped up in what Jesus does in a person's mind. Okay? That's why, that's why our, our little graphic Michelle made for us talks about, it shows the, the guy's mind there, all right? You get, you get to see the inside there. It, it, it's the, the mind that is crucial in this transformation process. It, verses 17 through 19 talk all about the mind, the thinking, the, the mindset of an unbeliever. And, and then in verses 22 through 24 where it talks about putting off the old self, putting on the new self. What's key there is verse 23 that says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put off the old self and you put on the new self when you're renewed in the spirit of the mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I love this quote. I've been using it for years. He said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. 
That, that, that is, there's a lot of truth to that. Warren Wiersbe said, you know, you are what you eat physically, but spiritually you are what you think about, okay? Uh, and there's a lot of truth in that. The spiritual battle is fought in the mind. Think about your spiritual life. Think about the, 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 the places that you struggle in, okay? Think about the places you're tempted in. Okay? Before the hands are ever soiled by sin, what's happened? That sin has been embraced by the mind. Isn't that true? Before we speak dishonoring words, those words have been approved by the mind. They've been grafted and shaped by the mind. Before our feet ever take us anywhere where we find sin, the mind has already determined to go there. Folks, we cannot be successful at putting to death the sin in our lives until we are fundamentally changed in the way that we think. That's what Jesus does in salvation. That's part of the salvation process is this renewing of the mind. The mind is the first step towards sin. The mind justifies sin. The mind arouses the heart towards sin. You know what the mind does? The mind holds out sin as a satisfying opportunity and it parades it before the will and the emotions. That's what I see happening in my life. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever I fall into sin, you know what has happened? My my mind has grabbed hold of something, whether it's a harsh word or whether it's self-pity or whether it's, it's lust or whatever it is and the mind holds it in front of the will in front of the emotions i know this is kind of hard to think of how this happens in you because you're all kind of one but but the mind holds it there and the heart gets aroused towards sin has that ever happened in your life you know and it has i know it has just think about it you know you, you, somebody said something harsh to you and so what happened well what, what happened wrongly was your mind grabbed hold of that harsh thought or that, that, that offense that was against you, and your mind held it in front of your heart and your will until, until your heart was aroused to sin against that person. You got mad, you got even, you wanted revenge. Uh, the mind replaced hurtful comments over and over and arouses bitterness. Isn't that what happens? The mind fantasizes about an unbiblical relationship and it stirs up lust. The mind makes lists. Your mind ever make lists? It does, right? It makes lists of all the wrong in your life or all the wrong someone's done to you or how you're right and everybody else is wrong. What happens? That arouses sin within you. The mind reassures us with a thousand logical reasons why it's good for you to make this purchase that is really bad for your family. That ever happened before? You know, you know you shouldn't go into debt. You know you should wait. You know you should be patient. What does the mind do? The mind goes, goes ahead and chronicles the reasons why you should go ahead and buy this. Sign the line, you know? Uh, I mean, our mind plays a pivotal role in our spiritual life. And so what, is, what does the Bible say about the mind? About the thinking, first of all, let's, let's talk first of all about someone who's not following Jesus, all right? So, what, what, does the, what does the Bible say about the mindset of the thinking of someone who, who, who is not a believer yet? Okay, so this would, would have been everybody in this room at some point in your life. For me, it's the first 18 years of my life. What was my mind doing? Well, let, let, let's look at what the Bible says. Verse 17 says, First of all, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then here's the phrase, in the futility of their minds. The futility of their minds. So first of all, the Bible says the mind of someone who's not following Jesus, not born again, their, their mind is void of useful aim. That's what, what that word futility means. It means it doesn't, it doesn't produce the desired result. It doesn't ever succeed. Okay, now again, okay, hold on. We got to define success here, right? Well, what, the, what the Bible's saying is that the mind of someone who's not following Jesus will never come to the right conclusion. They'll never get to the right end about happiness, about the purpose of life, about the safety of the soul, about the good of others. Now, does this mean that, that before you're a follower of Jesus, you're not smart? Absolutely not. 
Okay? Uh, there, are, there are incredibly intelligent people who are not followers of Jesus. There are some incredibly big IQs, brilliant physicists, creative writers, deep-thinking philosophers who don't believe the claims of Christ. They're incredibly intelligent. God has given them that intelligence. God has given them that, that great mind to think and reason. But their thinking is ultimately futile. You know why? Because it will leave God out of the equation. And so if you leave God out of the equation, you can't ever get to the right end. Okay? Now, can you create a rocket? You bet, you know. Can, can you uh, uh, cure cancer? Sure, okay. Uh, and we're thankful for God for that. But you can't ever get to the right end. You can't ever finish rightly if you leave God out of the equation. You're never going to get the purpose of life right. You're never going to get the purpose of relationships right. You're never going to get eternity right. You can't get those things right if you, if you do not have God in the equation. Verse 18 says, they're alienated from the life of God. They're darkened in their understanding, the, the ignorance that's in them. Folks, without knowing the fear of the Lord, here's what the book of Proverbs says, there is no wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so if you leave that out, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, if you don't have God in His right place in the universe, we can't understand anything else rightly. Folks, we we can't make the right decisions about the most important things in life if we leave out the most important piece of the puzzle. You know, it's like it's like trying to build a car without an engine. You know, if you, if you got all the parts for a car and you got no engine, okay? Hey, you know what? You can you can build a great car, a sharp looking car. The stereo can work awesome. But you're not going anywhere because you don't have an engine. You know, if you try to build a boat without a prop, if you try to build a building without a foundation. I mean, that's what God is to life. Without God, without a right view of God, everything else is not what it ought to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 7, uh, talks about someone without Christ. This is always learning, yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Philosopher Thoreau said, we have improved means to an unimproved end. That's that's kind of our day, isn't it? We can do all kinds of things really well. You know, uh, technology has enabled us to communicate faster. We can travel faster, better. We, 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 We can process information, transfer information, all of this. But do we have an improved end? Are people... In the end, the end process of their life, their relationships, the, the, the purpose of their life. Are they better off than, than 300 years ago? I don't think so. We just, we just do things faster and better, but the end is not any different. And that's because we, we can't gain any progress if we leave God out of the equation. Now, here's what happens, okay? If you leave God out of the equation, so you, you don't think rightly about God, you don't think rightly about, about holiness or righteousness or what's right or wrong, all those things... Day after day, if you're thinking about God is distorted, year after year, if you're thinking about what's right and what's wrong is, is, is not correct, decade after decade, you know what's going to happen? Soon your heart becomes hardened and calloused to the things of God. Notice verse 18 and 19. We're, we're seeing a progression here, okay? So wrong thinking about God leads to, to, to a, a, a hardness. Look at verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. Verse 19, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. You know, let's say that, uh, let's say that the coolant light, low coolant light, comes on in your vehicle, okay? And so you take it to one of these kind of, you know, driveway mechanics and you say hey, cooling lights you know on my vehicle and they tell you man that is nothing to worry about don't worry about that at all okay and, and the, let's just say that's wrong information all right 
So they tell you something that's wrong. So you believe something that's wrong about your car. Okay? You have a belief that is not accurate about your car. And so what happens? Well, the light comes on. You say, that's no big deal. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Okay? And so you just keep driving it. What happens day after day? Pretty soon that light bothers you less and less, doesn't it? You know, you get in, it comes on. At first, it really shook you up. You know, you took it somewhere to figure out what's going on here. But, you know, after, after a week or two weeks, pretty soon you don't even see the light anymore. You get in it, you drive somewhere, you don't even see the light until that 110 day when, you know, your, your car blows up, you know, and it's no more. Uh, but what happened? You got callous to it because you believed something that was false. Okay? In the same way, in the same way, if you believe the wrong things about God, if you, if you believe the wrong things about life, if you believe the wrong things about sexuality, if you believe the wrong things about, uh, uh, about, about the purpose of your existence, you, you will eventually become callous. You'll lose sensitivity. You'll lose the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. In, in the spiritual realm, we call this conviction. You won't be convicted anymore. 1 Timothy 4.2 and Titus 1.15 are both verses that talk about the searing of the conscience so that a person doesn't feel the pain of conviction anymore. There's a hardness there, an unresponsiveness to God. So, so when you sin, there isn't pain like there should be. And that plunges people, here's the progression, verse 19, into sensuality. What is sensuality? That means you're just, you're giving way to sin. Okay? So, so verse 22, let, let's come back here. Verse 22 says... That this old man, this old way of thinking, this old way of doing life must be put off upon our salvation. Why? Because the old life is characterized by, and I think this kind of sums it up, deceitful desires. Look at verse 22. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through, you see that phrase there? Deceitful desires. So, so wrong thinking leads to the wrong kind of desires. Have you ever wondered why you don't? want what you ought to want have you ever wondered that you know have you ever wondered why 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 do i why do i keep desiring these wrong things well this passage says very clearly that 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 the wrong wrong thinking futile thinking thinking that leaves god out of the equation leads to deceitful desires desires that lie to us okay so if you believe lies sooner or later you're going to desire things that are deceitful you're going to desire things that promise you things that won't come true okay so if 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 Brother Andrew comes and, and he tells me, man, Jason, I've been on my Mac. And on the Mac website, which everybody knows, Mac's the coolest thing ever, right? On my Mac website, it says that drinking Drano makes a person taller, smarter, and better looking. Okay? Now, if I buy into that, okay? I mean, just, just all of me just says, man, I can trust Drew. And he would not lead me wrong. And if the Mac website said it, you know, it must be true. If I believe that drinking Drano would make me better looking and taller and smarter, then, then I would have a strange, isn't it strange? I would have a strange desire for Drano, wouldn't I? I mean, when I walk by it in, in Walmart, I would see it up there and like, oh man, three more inches. I, you know, I could, I'd be better, I'd be smarter, I'd be more efficient if I just drink. You know, I'd have a desire, I know it's silly, it's stupid, right? But do you see how, do you see how wrong thinking leads to wrong desires? A reality where drinking Drano makes you better is a false reality. And you know what? Satan, Satan is creating false realities. Realities, listen, some of these won't be so stupid to you. Realities where the center of the universe is you. Okay? You ever live in that reality? Realities where, where what really matters are your feelings and your happiness and your exaltation and your views and your relaxation. Satan is busy creating false realities where money equates happiness. 
And people really desire the wrong things because of that. Realities where love is strictly a feeling and not an act of the will. Realities where you decide what's truth for you and nobody else should question your truth. Realities where, where revenge is right and heaven is for everyone and hell is for no one. And God is like us, and He surely doesn't make that big a deal about sin. Realities where church is optional, and God's commands are suggestions, and worship is for a time which convenient for you. Realities where it's everyone else's fault, and you're just a victim. Those are all lies. Those are all not true realities, because they've left God out of the reality. And you know what? Those realities will create deceitful desires. Desires in you that are wrong. Okay, so, so here's, here's the progression again. I'm going to go over it again, right? You believe a lie that le- leaves God out of the reality, okay? That leads to desires that are deceitful, which when you desire something that's wrong, what's going to happen eventually if that desire is not put in check? You're, you're going to do it, right? Which leads to sinful actions, which if done repeatedly, leads to a callous heart that avoids the voice of God. You know what you have right there, my friends? The world. Do you not? You had me for 18 years. That right there. Believe, believe things that were not true, which led to desires that I shouldn't have had, which led to sin, sinful actions, which when done enough, may be very callous to the things of God. How does this work out? Let's give some, some illustrations. How about, how about sex? If you leave God out of your view of sexuality, if you don't know the truth about sexuality, then you're going to think wrong things about sex which are going to lead to desires for sex that are, that are wrong, that are sinful, which are going to lead to actions that are sinful, which if continue, will going to lead to a hardened conscience and heart toward God. What about money? If you think about money in wrong ways, what's that going to lead to? You're going to, you're going to have desires for money, desires for possessions. You're, you're going to believe these promises that money can, can, can do certain things in your life that it can't do. They're deceitful desires. And you're going to believe that, and you're going to act on that in covetous and greedy ways and if you continue that, a life of that, it's going to harden and callous you to the things of God. What about, what about self-exaltation, self-promotion? If, if, if you believe wrong things about yourself, okay, about what you deserve and who you are, what's that going to lead? That's going to lead for desires, desires for your own way, desires for your own glory that are going to lead to prideful, hurtful, sinful actions that are going to callous and harden your heart if you continue. What about anger and revenge? You believe wrong things. You leave God out of, out of the equation of your hurts. What's going to happen? You're, you're going to have desires for things that are sinful. Things get even, right? That's going to lead to sinful action. It's going to lead to a bitter and hard heart. So what's verse 20 say? Well, verse 20, come back. says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Okay? Something's happened to you, right? If you're a follower of Christ, something's happened to you. That's what we just talked about in the first two chapters. Remember? You, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You've been joined in the heavenlies of Jesus Christ. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, something has happened to you. And Paul describes that something in verse 20 here. He, he says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Okay, what, what's happened to you that's fundamentally different? You have learned Christ. You have seen and experienced Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you back to a verse we look at almost every week here at Lincoln. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, we all with unveiled face. Here's what happens in salvation. Are beholding the glory of the Lord. We're seeing God's glory. And that glory, seeing His glory. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What happens when we learn Christ? When we're taught in Him? When the truth is in Jesus and we come to know Jesus 
We come to know of His glory and His majesty and His wisdom and His truth. That we come to see that He can be trusted. That Jesus is the path to joy and glory and satisfaction. We come to know Jesus' love and His power and His all-sufficient presence. And what happens when all of that happens? We are changed. We're changed as we come to know Christ. Not just know facts about Him, but we come to know Him. Like I know Emma. And I know her, her heart and her desires. And I, I know what she loves and what she hates. And I know what she expects of me. I know how to honor her. In the same way, we experientially know Christ. And we come to know Jesus. And our minds begin to be renewed. Is this true or not? By coming to know the love of Christ, I begin to think different, differently about dealing with difficult people. Is that true? That's true, isn't it? By coming to know the power of Christ, I think differently about my future. About the things that, that, that would make me worry. Okay, By coming to know the forgiveness of Christ, I think differently about, about holding a grudge. By coming to know the holiness of Christ, I think differently about sin. That's true, isn't it? As I learn Christ, as I come to know Jesus, all of a sudden, I think differently about these things in my life. My mind's being renewed. We come to know the realities of the world we live in as from the perspective of God. So thinking about the world without God, okay, without God leads to deceitful desires and sinful actions. Thinking about the world in a God-centered way, okay, what's that going to lead to? Right desires and right actions. Does that happen in anybody's life? Anybody get saved... Okay, you give your life to Jesus, you're born again, and all of a sudden, you are suddenly desiring things that you have never desired before. Does that happen to anybody? That happened to me. You know, I got saved. All of a sudden, I wanted to go to church. Imagine that. I mean, 18 years, drug there, 18 years. You know, any excuse to get out of it possible. You know, I did it. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm saved and, and, and there's a new desire. Why? Because I, I think about God in a different way. And that, 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 that renewed mind produces new desires. When you know Christ as the pearl of great price, as the treasure worth giving everything for. When you know Him as the mighty King, as the satisfier of souls. When you know Jesus, like Revelation 19 describes Him, coming on a white horse, eyes aflame with fire, robe dipped in blood, sharp sword coming from His mouth, through which He'll slay the nations, a name written on His thigh and on His robe, King of kings and Lord of lords. When you learn Jesus, your desires change. You desire to be with Him. You desire to obey Him. You desire to honor Him. Not perfectly. This is a process. This is something that, that begins at salvation. And the, the old man is joined, or you're joined to Christ. The old man dies on the, uh, on the cross with Jesus. And that's what baptism is a picture of. But, 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 but it's something that continues to go on in our lives. As we put off the old man and put on the new man. And we desire new things. When you know that Christ's sacrifice was for you, you desire to please Him. When you know Christ's fatherly love, you desire to be right with Him. When you know Christ's discipline, you desire to repent of sin. When you know Christ's joy, you want to have more of Him. Putting on the new man comes from being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Listen. That's why this is so important right here. Jesus said in John 17... I can't remember the exact verse, but it's, he says, um, sanctify them in, in your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. We're, we're sanctified by the word of God. 
This is why we plead with you to memorize your Bible. (laughs) This is why we plead with you to to read your Bible, to read through the Bible every year. This is why we have a Bible reading program at Lincoln Avenue. This, this, is, why, uh, this is why we have Wednesday night where you can come and ask questions. This, this, is why, this is why we want you to be in this book. This is why you need not just listen to me, but you need to be in the book. Why? Because your, your mind needs to be renewed. You need, you need to know Christ. As, as you think about Christ and as you know Christ, as your mind is transformed by Christ, you're, you're going to have different desires. You don't want to live your entire Christian life fighting wrong desires. Does that make sense? I mean, how hard is that? You know what that is? That's legalism. That, 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 that is we've got to have rules put in place in our life and, and because we really want to be out there, but we have to have this fence up so that we can't, you know? But really, we'd rather be living something, some other life. But man, we want to go to heaven, so we got to put this fence up so that so that we can't you know we can't get out. You know that's not the Christian life. You know what the Christian life is? The Christian life is God changes your desires, <laughs> so that you don't you, you don't live by deceitful desires anymore. You live by by the desires of the Spirit, and God changes you from the inside. As your mind is remo- renewed, as your desires change, your life will be visibly transformed. The stuff that is hidden, the stuff that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you know what? You'll begin to see that. People will begin to see that. Now, they may not know what in the world it is, okay? In fact, it may scare them a little bit. But they'll begin to see, you know what? Something is happening in them. Something has happened in them. And it begins, it begins with our minds being renewed by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you so much for your grace to us today. Father, we want you to do this in our lives. Father, we want to put off the old man. Uh, God, we, we want to put on the new man. Father, we want our minds to be renewed. We want our every thought to be held captive to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we want you to so shape the way that we think about, about marriage that we can't, we can't think about our marriage without thinking about Christ that we can't think about our relationships, our friendships without thinking about Christ, that we can't think about our, our, our job, our, our school, our whatever, without Christ being weaved into all of that. Father, please do a work in us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.